This is the fourth Sunday after Epiphany. We're firmly now in the green Sundays uh, after Epiphany, but the theme remains the ways and the means that we make manifest the presence of Christ to the world. And how do we understand that both in corporate and personal terms? This happens also to be the day of our annual parish meeting, so preachers have a choice. They could ignore it altogether and just preach on the readings. They could give some kind of a sort of boring state of the parish sermon. Or they could do a little of each. So, me being kind of a via media guy, <laughs> that's what I thought I, I might do. So as we move towards the end, I'll, I'll, I'm going to read you something, if you will indulge me, that does not originate with me, but I think at our best uh, shows what we've been trying to stand for around here for a long, long time. Three readings today, plus the psalm, are the subject of the sermon. They're all uh, good readings, even for an annual meeting Sunday, and they have something to do with the way we understand making manifest the presence of God to the world, how you find the ways and the means to do that as a Christian disciple as you live. Remember, always the predicate that, that I have when we talk about that is that when you exercise the highest and best you can of your discipleship, it has to do with being the best human being you can be. And those qualities have deep spiritual significance and can influence others' emotional, spiritual, and mental states. So they are important. So when we think about these readings, they have something to do with this Micah. Uh, this is one of the most uh, famous prophetic utterances in the Hebrew Bible. And the most uh, famous part is, O mortal, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? That's not the sum and substance of what is required, but it is the distillation of the highest and best of the behavior of the community we call the people of God. And remember, we read from the Hebrew Bible and we read from the Psalms because they're a testimony not only for Christian people, of how we now see uniquely focused in the person of Jesus Christ, the divine presence, but that that presence has always been available to the people of God and has animated and influenced human beings to move toward God in all that they do. So this reading from Micah is uh, a reading that talks about um, how you need to get down to the maybe the, the bare essentials uh, to love kindness, to do justice, and to walk humbly with your God. So then we move immediately to the Psalms, Psalm 15. I don't usually preach on the Psalms. There, it's a sort of segue or a sequence from the uh, Hebrew Bible reading uh, to the New Testament, to the reading from the Epistle. And today we have in the Psalms the requirements in this Psalm. You know, the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, we always talk about that, but how do they live themselves out in uh, ordinary, commonplace interaction? And Psalm 15, when you take it apart, gives you ten things. So think also about parish life 
Think also about uh, making manifest. Think about how you might live both as a private and a public person, uh, your own interior mental, emotional, and spiritual states, and how you bring that into relationship. The first thing that it says in Psalm 15 is that we walk blamelessly and do what is right, and that means to behave according to the mores and standards of the society. The second is to speak the truth from the heart, to show integration of the internal will and external actions, do what one says and say what one thinks. You've heard me say this before. I wake up every morning and try. I'm deeply disappointed by my ability to be consistent about this. But I absolutely resolve in the morning that I believe that everyone I encounter today is a person of goodwill and that we mean what we say. We don't have to spend a whole lot of energy and time figuring out what somebody means, right? I mean, I've become nearly sick or crazy in my life with members of my family and other people who thought I was supposed to know when it was some obscure thing that, was, that we're supposed to get and understand, right? We need to mean what we say. So the default position for Christian people is to learn to speak with the most clarity possible, right? The third is do not slender with the tongue. Do not attack others verbally and falsely so as to destroy them. And there's a lot of destructive speech in this culture, isn't there? We've been talking a lot about that in the media over the last three or four weeks. Not such a good thing. Do not do evil to a friend. Do not physically harm one's fellow human beings. Do not take up a reproach against the neighbor. Do not participate in or perpetuate gossip or spread rumors. This is so hard to do because it's so much fun. <laughs> right? I've been a priest associate of the Society of St. John the Evangelist for 40 years. And Father David Clayton, who used to come to my seminary and afterwards he'd come to the parish, my first parish and stuff, and he'd give, you know, retreats and quiet days and things. He used to say, you know, when you're, when you're standing around with people who start gossiping and talking about other people, you should walk away. You should walk away from that. Well, I don't walk away all the time. <laughs> you know, we sit there. Not a good plan. Despise a person who turns their back on God or society, it says in this psalm. Honor those who are fear God, the positive counterpart to the preceding statement I just read. Stand by an oath even when it hurts. One's word and one's oath are to be kept even if keeping them brings injury or cost to oneself. You know, a lot of moral and ethical precepts that human beings are supposed to live by uh, are in the ordinary and uh, commonplace activities every day don't come up much. So the real issue is they're an issue when it comes up. And I know in my own life, if I do something that I'm not supposed to do, I have another explanation for what that behavior is. Not what it is. I call it something else.
And I think many of us do that as well. Do not lend money at interest. Well, there's a hot one. <laughs> do not use another person's need to one's advantage. Have mercy. And finally, do not take a bribe against the innocent. Do not do wrong even if paid. You need to read the article in the November 29th New Yorker magazine about the financial markets in this country and how they work. It's fascinating. Very, very interesting. It's the first time I've ever learned about a way of giving people bonuses called a clawback. <laughs> very interesting stuff. We won't talk about that now. I mean, this is the fourth Sunday after Epiphany. <laughs> But Psalm 15 sort of outlines it. How in the everyday and the concrete might you uh, make manifest this sort of thing? Paul today in 1 Corinthians is speaking to, as Father Emerson reminded you all, you must know by heart, I always say, the Christian congregation on the bleeding edge of the dysfunctional church movement. Corinth. And he's dealing with two people. The situation on the ground is this. There are two groups in Corinth, at least two groups and probably more, who have a particular view of what they think the definitive expression of Christianity ought to be. There are those who say you need to be a practicing Jew for all intents and purposes. So that means men need to be circumcised, you need to keep the Sabbath, and you need to keep the dietary laws. That's necessary in order for you to achieve salvation. And there are other uh, Greek Christians or Hellenistic Christians in Corinth, which is in Greece, who believe that uh, Jesus really imparted to us a secret teaching that a few people know and have been able to um, make available to people. Some of the, the crowd from the week before, Chloe's people, and so on and so on. And it's through our own wisdom that we're saved. If I were to say what runs things these days in our culture, that's probably the predominant view, that we receive salvation through being smart and through what it is that we know and through human experience only. So Paul focuses the congregation that he's writing to on the cross of Christ. So don't get excited. I'm not going to talk about the cross of Christ today. That's for another time. But what he's placing at the center is, you know, the way that you understand God's presence and power in your life, God's saving power, is the acknowledgement, even if it's in hindsight, that God has been with you even in the midst of the most difficult and trying circumstances. That you have been able to see maybe in some small way the presence and the power of God, or in some miraculous way you have the stamina and the energy and the resources that you have been able to muster in order to meet the challenges and the opportunities that are in front of you on a daily basis. And Paul says that comes from the presence of the Spirit of God, God coming in an inward way to enlighten and strengthen you. So in one sense, this passages about parish life in the New Testament church, but not a lot has changed. Not a lot has changed. And so we need to understand that um, our own wisdom and our own sense of uh, rule-keeping and score-keeping is not going to be the way of salvation.
Today from the gospel we read the most famous rehearsal of the Beatitudes uh, in in the gospels. There are two places, Matthew, which is the most well-known, the Sermon on the Mount. We begin today the Sermon on the Mount. It's actually an extended teaching that goes through the whole of chapter 5 and 6 and so on. So this is the beginning, the Beatitudes. They also appear in Luke's gospel. And in Luke's gospel, it's the Sermon on the Plain. And biblical scholars, little 3995 biblical scholarship, uh, suggest that the more primitive tradition in the New Testament is Luke. But Matthew, in my view, is popular principally because it has a, it reflects the pastoral experience of the church in the way in which Jesus speaks these Beatitudes. Sometimes biblical scholarship gives you the idea that Jesus was standing up going like this one, on a one-off deal. So blessed are the poor in spirit. For, well, that's the la- first and last time he said that, right? And the fact is he may have said these things many times and more than once. So the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew is a compilation of the true sayings, the authentic sayings and teaching of Jesus placed in this location for the purpose of telling us something else. That for Matthew, Jesus is the new Moses. And like Moses from the mountain who brings the law, Jesus today from the mountain brings the new law embodied in him where the law of love is the operative principle in all human interaction. And so it is spoken from a height. And in this sense, Jesus is describing characteristics and behaviors that he says are blessed. So understanding this is important. There are a couple of things. You can go on and on about the words in here. The fact of the matter is that Whenever we do these things, Jesus has pronounced his blessing on them. It's not, if you do these things, you'll be blessed. It's when you do them, you're blessed. They are blessed states, spiritually, emotionally, and mentally. All of us are to aspire to do them. And in some way, we do them, and then other times we don't do them but we should always know how important they are because they are outward signs of what the kingdom of God would look like if we behave that way all the time. In Luke's gospel, the Beatitudes open with, Blessed are the poor. And in Matthew's gospel, it opens with, Blessed are the poor in spirit. And that poverty of spirit is is present in all human beings. It does not privilege a particular socio-economic class when Jesus speaks this in Matthew. All of us need somehow to enrich our spirit. And the same is true for the other qualities that Matthew speaks about when Jesus speaks the the Beatitudes in today's gospel, those states that are blessed when we do them. So when you think about the Beatitudes, 
think about that. Sometimes what he's describing in here are also people, you know, all the things that he calls blessed, or most of them, are not held in high regard in our culture. They weren't held in high regard then. So some of the people that he's calling blessed, or behaviors that he's calling blessed, are behaviors that victims express. Well, the Beatitudes don't call us to victimhood. The Beatitudes call us to be able to rise to the occasion and to understand that God's blessing is available to us all the time. God's unconditional acceptance, forgiveness, and love. So how might a community manifest these beatitudes, how might a community seek to have a balance between rule-keeping and uh, personal wisdom and the um, conventional wisdom of any age? How might we understand that as a parish church in 2011 in this location for 100 and since 1881, so 129 or 139 years, long time. So here's what I think we stand for. St. Luke's is ancient and new. The faith we hold is ancient, going back to Jesus, back to his spiritual ancestors, back to those who walked the earth and found holy ground. And what we do is often based on really ancient patterns. Worship and music loving service to the poor, the hurting, the lonely, working for justice and peace, lively, fearless education and formation of minds and souls. And that faith is also completely contemporary, engaged in the culture and the needs of the moment. We, what we are for, the dignity and worth of every person, an open-minded, passionate commitment to truth, the importance of everyone's own spiritual journey, God's friends wherever we find them, seeking Christ in every person who comes through the door, the sacredness of life's rites of passage, the value of community, the hard work necessary to make sure that all are welcome, telling the truth about life's challenges and a user-friendly church experience. What we're against, claiming to have all the answers, elitism and exclusivism, especially in the church, bigotry for any reason, authoritarianism, indifference to injustice and suffering, certitude in the face of ambiguity and superficial answers to hard questions, boring sermons, <laughs> bad music, and general cluelessness. So God help us, we don't always avoid them. We're trying. What we value, community, Open hearts, open minds, open arms. Faith, fortitude, staying current, but equally staying rooted in tradition. 
reason and honesty, civic responsibility as citizens of our community, Americans, and global citizens. Debate that allows for mutual respect, music and beauty for their own sake, joy in God's creation, anyone who makes an effort to get to know and follow Jesus, or to put it more briefly, reason over dogma, reality over perfection, ambiguity over certitude, in other words, faith. So, as a member of St. Luke's Church, as somebody who comes to St. Luke's Church, who some, to somebody who is seeking, this program may not be a bad thing to try to do in big and small ways. And all of the things that we talk about being the best human being that you can be, centering yourself in God, understanding the power of the Spirit of God coming in an inward way to enlighten and strengthen you, all provide the energy, the stamina, and the support to be able to do this. And I thank God that I'm the rector of such a great church. Amen.